0: Okay, we're down to uh, just two more weeks left in our Ephesians class. And originally, uh, today was going to be covering all of Chapter 6, and then next next week was just going to be kind of a wrap-up. But since I'm teaching this week and next week, I decided, you know what? I'm going to cut that in half and uh, do part of Chapter 6 today, and we'll look at the uh, armor of God uh, and... Uh, Paul's final greetings next week. So this week, Ephesians six one through nine. Just by way of review, I'm going to give you a, a very wide open question. That means there's like it's not a trick question. There's all sorts of answers. Just want to get you guys engaged. Very wide open question. Just think about the first three chapters of Ephesians. And you can thumb through it if you want. But the first three. Uh, uh, chapters of Ephesians what are some things that you can think of in there that it says that God has done for us in Christ what are some things God has done for us in Christ that Paul enumerates in Ephesians 1 through 3
1: seated us with him in the heavenly
0: realms Mm -hmm. seated us with him in the heavenly realms raised us up with Christ raised us up with Christ do you feel like you're seated in the heavenly realms? Sometimes it's hard to believe, right? But Paul Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say maybe anything of like that. He's addressing his his uh, letter to the saints who are in Ephesus. It says you are seated in the heavenly realms. Like, talk about. And that's if there's one word that comes to my mind oftentimes with Ephesians. Uh, especially the first few chapters, it's assurance. Especially the chapter 1. There's just great assurance for the believer given. What else?
1: He's given us faith. He's given
0: us the gift of faith. He give, he's given us the gift of faith. So we think of Ephesians 2 uh, and what God has done for us. Nothing that we can boast in, even, even faith, is not of yourself, but is the free gift of God. Why? 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 The, and this is also covered in Ephesians, Ephesians two. Why is faith even required to be a gift from God? Because you can't please Him without it. You can't please Him without it. Is exactly.
1: Completely true. Because so, if you're dead, you have to.
2: to life. It, once you're brought to life, you recognize who brought you to life, and that faith is in and of itself a gift from God.
0: Yeah, so Paul describes us as being dead in our sins and trespasses. He's not, as we talked about in that section, he's not just, he's not just giving us an analogy that kind of helps us understand, yeah, you're, you're kind of like a dead man, I think it goes all the way back to Genesis, thir- Genesis 3 and Adam's sin, Adam and Eve's sin. God told Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat of this, you shall surely die. And in full reality, they died. They died spirit. They were completely spiritually dead. So when Paul says that we are dead in our sins and trespasses, he means we're dead. So faith, we absolutely require God, by his his divine work to work faith in us, to raise us up. Um, the, The perfect picture of it is Lazarus. Lazarus had no power in himself to get up out of that grave. Jesus, are you sure you want us to open the tomb? By now, I'm sure he's stinking. Open the tomb. No, no, Lazarus is coming out. It's not until Jesus calls out, "Lazarus, come forth!" It's by the by the word of His power that Lazarus Lazarus is raised from the dead.
1: What else? He made us one with each other, with all His children in Christ.
0: Yes. That's a major theme in Ephesians, is the the unity uh, not only of uh, believers to Christ, but that we are united in Christ, we are united with one another. Breaking down that barrier between Jew and Gentile, we are united. Uh, We think of, uh, I know it comes up in my notes today, but the the handful of passages that just uh, remind us there's no longer Jew and Greek, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free, but you are one in Christ. Anything else that comes, comes to mind? Blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, <laughs> even as he chose us before him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That's, that, that's one of those that I, I think if you just kind of meditate upon that ought to overwhelm you. Uh, so many times just in our experience of sin and suffering in this world, we can, we can think that maybe God has uh, abandoned us. Maybe God is uh, not uh, aware of what we're going through. And yet he says, no, it's actually the opposite of kind of what you're feeling, and I want you to have faith in this. I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's lavished his love and grace upon us. And it will fully realize that uh, when Christ comes again, when we are present with him. we, And even then, I say fully realize, I believe that realization will grow in eternity as we worship before the infinite God, I don't think we'll, we will never tire and never stop being amazed and finding out about the, the depths of his love and grace for us in Christ and the blessings that he's lavished upon us. Okay, well, there's a lot there in Ephesians that's absolutely wonderful uh, as we think about all the things that God has done for us. In Ephesians 3, uh, if you look at Ephesians 3, 14, there's kind of this uh, transition a, uh, sentence. <coughs> Paul says, Ephesians three fourteen. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So he kind of has this statement that in, very, in many ways encapsulates all that he has said before, but it's pointing us forward, and now how this is going to actually play out in our day-to-day lives as we think about um, the the Spirit dwelling in us, the Word of Christ dwelling in us, uh, that we may uh, know the love of Christ that surpasses not surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So we're gonna. So as we've been looking at it, uh, kind of that rough breakdown of Ephesians is one one through three, kind of what God has done for us in Christ in the Spirit. Four through six is now this is how that plays out in our lives. But as we mentioned last week, even then Paul doesn't just say, okay, rough rough stop. Now we're gonna go here. And it kind of has these two topics that are not don't really have anything to do with one another. Now he starts first with what God has done for us in Christ in the Spirit, and then turns to say, "Now this is how that flows through your life." And even then, he keeps coming back and kind of singing the praises of Christ, what God has done for us through these things. Um, so the what we the, the commands that God gives us when He says do these things, they're not we cannot divorce them from. What God says, this is what I have done for you, um, and even then, I think it's, Augustine says something to the to the effect of, you know, what what God commands, uh, he basically gives the power to do. Um, I think it's as you're reading through Ezekiel, I think it's a couple times that Ezekiel has a vision and uh, Ezekiel falls down in kind of wor- in awe and worship. And then God says, Ezekiel, stand up. And then it says, and the spirit lifted Ezekiel up. And I always think that's just beautiful. It's like God commands it and then performs it for Ezekiel. And that's very much what our lives are when in our obedience, is we trust in him to do the very thing that he uh, commands us to do uh, through his spirit. Um, we've now come to... What's commonly called the the household code in Ephesians uh, last week, Ephesians five twenty five to the end of the chapter. What what part of the household did we talk about last week? I guess is it twenty yeah twenty two. What what relationships did we talk about last week in the household?
1: So
0: <laughs> Larry says I don't know. He said, "I studied for the exam and then dumped it." <laughs> What's that, Kelsey?
1: Husbands and wives. Husbands and wives.
0: Okay. Husbands and wives. So, Larry covered that last week. This week, we are looking at two more uh, kind of relationships under the household. First one, we're looking at children, and their parents, and then five through nine slaves, or bond slaves, and masters. Okay, let me read the passage, and then we'll kind of work through this a little bit together. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. He who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. As we think through these, and even going back to the husband and wife uh, relationship, something that that really stands out to me is this Latin phrase, "Corondeo." If, if you uh, follow the ministry, the ministry of Liganiere. You're probably very familiar with this. It's kind of their, their phrase, but it's, it's in the presence of God or before the face of God. And, and the challenge, uh, what we're called to as believers, is to live, Koran Deo, to live before the face of God. So you think about this in this, in this passage. L- listen to uh, just some of these in 522 Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Six, one, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Um, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. Oh, one way that as believers, our lives are transformed and play out differently is we're no longer living uh, to please man, which oftentimes is just trying to please ourselves because we're looking very much like the Pharisees did for the approval of man. And the approval of man gives us that confidence to think that we are that we have a sense of belonging, that we are, have a sense of worth. We're looking for other people to give us the worth that we're looking for in ourselves. But Paul is saying to live before the face of God. Live your life not to please man, but out of worship and a heart, heart's desire to please God rather than man. So that changes the whole dynamic in all of these relationships because it no longer depends upon the person that God has placed me under or over. It no longer depends strictly on them. It depends on my living my, my faith out before God, that I am seeking to do these things before him, to please him, uh, knowing that uh, Christ has done all that I could ever, uh, all as required to please God to put me in a right relationship with him. And now as a child, as we talked about last week with the law gospel distinction, I'm, I'm no longer, I no longer see God's commands like obey your parents as a, uh, I no longer follow that out of a slavish fear, out of a fear of condemnation, but I obey it out of a childlike love. It's changed my the my the whole relationship dynamic has changed. Okay, verse one. Let's just kind of look at some of these things first. So we had husbands and wives, which is uh, extremely important for us to. Sorry, pardon Like looking at that word, like why does that word look so strange? Husbands. Um, Husbands and wives, you kind of see this progression. Husbands and wives, it begins there. It's very, it's, it's vital for us to kind of see the progression that husbands and wives, and even in that he points us to the gospel, we as husbands and wives are, are charged with setting an example before our children. Uh, this is... Uh, One piece of kind of marriage advice that I had heard that has really stuck with me is um, don't don't think that every disagreement you you have as husband and wife should be dealt with and away from your children. Now, surely there's some that you're going to, out of wisdom, do that. But your children need to be able to see two adults who can disagree with one another and work through those disagreements. You model that for them. You model that even though God has given us specific roles, that he has the husband over the wife in the sense of this this role of of authoring how, how his, as Larry said, life works best. In the way that you discuss these things together, the children see, my father loves my mom. My father views my mom as an equal. They can discuss these things. They can have disagreement and work through these issues. So it kind of trickles down. Now we come to children and parents. And the first thing I want us to notice here is Paul is specifically addressing the children. So when he says, children, obey your parents and the Lord— this letter is going out to the churches in Ephesus and it's being read in front of the congregation. And the expectation is that children are there in the church hearing it. And the apostle Paul, who has in, verse, in chapter one, verse one has said, this letter is to all the saints who are in Ephesus. He is now including the children in this. So right away, we saw it last week with husbands and wives, and now with Paul addressing children specifically, we really see how the the, the cultural dynamic uh, that would have been prevalent in Roman society at the time, God is uh, is totally turning upside down. Or as I, I think as Josh uh, has said, he and I don't know if he heard it from another pastor. He says it's not really turning things. Upside down is turning things right side up. God is reorienting us to what his design was always meant to be. So, in Roman culture, where the uh, father figure, and it was usually the, the oldest father of the family, so you might have had multiple fathers under him, but he's the, he's the pater, pater familias. He's, he's the head honcho of the family, and he is the one who has con- utter control over the family. In fact, in Roman culture, there's uh, it's documented that fathers, especially this, this head father, uh, could at any time disown or even kill children uh, that... Uh, even at birth, there's a practice of if this child is not a child I'm going to bring into my family, we're just going to set them outside in a public place and they either die or some, or some kind-hearted person takes them or some not-so-kind-hearted person takes them, like free slave. It was, it was awful. Children didn't have status. And yet here, Paul uh, God through Paul is addressing in the church children directly.
1: I'm glad it's not that
2: way now because our house would be so full of babies. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Could just kick them up off the street. I, out. Out. I found another one. <laughs> this is easy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so. Again, considering the equality of the of the church, of the congregants, Paul addresses children directly. And he calls children out to obey your parents in the Lord. And uh, one commentator I saw kind of drew a distinction between a legal obedience and an evangelical obedience. Very much what, what Larry was pointing out last week. He defined legal obedience as mere duty uh, or in order to secure some kind of advantage, where evangelical obedience is done out of love, not to secure an advantage, but to express gratitude for kindness received. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and mother. This is, as we think of Romans 12:10, Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. So, what Paul is instructing children to do is, is nothing different than what he is telling all believers to do. We are all trying to outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, children are specifically to honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, Paul says. So, let's go over some of those reasons for obedience. First, Paul says, uh, that were that children are to obey their parents in the Lord. Just kind of quickly working through some of these things, it's it's fitting, it's fitting for believing children to obey their parents. It's it's just proper, as we are, uh, even as uh, chapter five verse twenty one says, submitting to one on, one another out of reverence for Christ. Children are. Are obeying their parents in the Lord. It's fitting to do that. He says, This is right. This is right. This is, this is Paul's way of saying, this is a general principle that even the world understands. Even that harsh Roman culture, for Paul to say, obey your parents, everyone would be like, nah. Like, yep, that's how it's supposed to be. But he says, this is right. So it's a general principle of nature for children uh, that they ought to obey their parents. Romans uh, 1.18 and following, as we think about Paul giving, giving this description of uh, the fall of man and the wickedness of man's heart, as he's listing all of these uh, evidences of man rebelling against God and it's playing out in these Kind of natural ways. One of the things he says is uh, that the people will are disobedient to parents. You know we think of all the, the things that might be listed there and he lists specifically disobedient to parents. It is against the natural order, the order that God has designed for, uh, parent, for uh, children to disobey their parents. Another reason he says is God commands it. And he quotes from the law, Exodus 20, 12, uh, Deuteronomy 5.16, Leviticus 19:1 through 3, these all tell us, children, uh, honor your father and mother, obey your parents. Now the question there for a believing child is: as we're fighting against our flesh, is do I think that God knows what he's saying. And really, that's what we all have to ask ourselves as we're working through these relationships. Do I believe that what God tells me to do is truly good? If I don't believe that the thing that God tells me to do is truly good, then I don't really believe that God is truly good. Because if I believe that God is good, And especially if I am his child and he promises that he is working all things together for my salvation. If I believe these things, then I have to believe that his commands to me are also good. But all of us in all these relationships are are fighting against that, to to think about uh, what God, uh, fighting against the idea that what God tells me to do is good. Because as a teenage, as a teenager, I knew, I knew better than my parents. They're old. They don't understand these things. I'm, I'm young and wise. The, the backwards thinking of a teenager. Uh, right, you know, learn something from a song lyric and think, no, that's exactly what I ought to be doing. Uh, listening uh, to too much Pink Floyd or something. <laughs> uh So if we trust God, we know that we trust that his ways are good. So when he commands something, um, we can uh, have full assurance that it is for our good. And he then kind of he then makes the point stronger by saying, not only is it good, but there's reward behind it. There's reward for it. Um, This is a kind of a general promise. It's not something that we can uh, say, nope, this is invariable. If I obey my parents, I will have a long life. That's not what Paul is saying. But as a general principle of nature, he is saying that you follow, if you follow the wisdom of your parents, generally speaking, you, you will have a better life in the sense of what, like what Larry was saying last week, was this is the this is God's design this is the way he has designed life to work best we think of proverbs 4 i'm not going to read the whole the whole chapter but proverbs 4:10 um hear my son and accept make sure i in the right place here hear my son and ex- accept my words that the years of your life may be many Hear my, hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of righteousness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. These are This is the, the general principle of life, that if we follow the wisdom of our parents, life will be extended. I can remember plenty of of wisdom, bite-sized wisdom that my parents offered down to me, especially when learning how to drive. Things you want to exercise wisdom behind the wheel of this vehicle. Because you might die otherwise if I don't. And as a police officer, I was present at many wrecks with teenage drivers behind the wheel. Because teenage drivers think that they are uh, unstoppable, that they are invincible, that they kind of can can survive anything. And Larry, I'm sure you've seen some, uh, your share of teenage drivers, possibly, yeah, some. Um, it's a scary thing to have a teenager behind the wheel of a car. Exercise wisdom. Follow, follow the wisdom of your parents. They already said that the first century Roman fathers had kind of absolute control. Paul is, Paul is bringing, uh, bringing the status of children in the church up. Then he turns, uh, for the sake of time, i keep going here. He turns to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This doesn't exclude mothers. We see plenty of instruction uh, in Scripture for mothers as well as fathers to be to be um, bringing their children up in this way. But by saying fathers, he's calling out the fathers specific, specifically. By saying fathers. You are, the, you are the authority of the household that I have placed to make sure that these things are happening. You are responsible. You share these duties with your wife. I, I'm not home as much as my wife is. So I know that my wife, in many ways, is doing these things, bringing our boys up in, in the uh, discipline and instruction of the Lord. But ultimately, that is my responsibility as a husband and father is to make sure that my children are being brought up in the, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The, the uh, word here that is translated, bring them up, this is the same word that Paul uses in, uh, Romans, in, in Ephesians 5 when he's talking to um, husbands loving their wives. He says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. The word here that is translated bring them up is the same word that in Ephesians 5 is translated as nourish, nourishes. It is is a nourishing them, bringing them up, bringing them along. It has this picture of of tenderness and and desire uh, to, to grow them. So the responsibility for fathers is you notice he doesn't say here, you know, fathers put, put bread on the table. Now, he, he does say that. You think of his epistles to the uh, Thessalonians. He basically says, hey, you need to be providing it for your family. But here he doesn't say that. He says, hey, he doesn't say, hey, you just, you just make the money for the family and everything else kind of will happen under the wife. No. He says the responsibility is yours. The responsibility is yours. Um, so, as parents, <coughs> especially thinking of this first uh, thing, he says, "Don't provoke your children to anger." In let's see, in Colossians uh, three, kind of parallel passage, he adds, "Lest they become discouraged." So, as we're parents. And we see this command for our children to obey us, to honor us, what kind of parents ought we to be? I think it's similar to everything else, building, building each other up. Building each other up, including our children, right? Yeah. Honor, so honorable. Honorable. If you're the command is for children to honor the parents, but yeah, we ought to strive to be honorable if if we're not setting an example here, we're not setting an example here for our children, talk about discouragement. We're going to we're going to be discouraging our children horribly if if they're if they're especially if they're believers and I, my desire is to obey, but I am constantly I am constantly being torn down instead of being built up. My my dad is doing these things that are incredibly hard to honor so it's like we're, not, we're never in these relationships supposed to kind of hold our thumb over the uh, <clears throat> subordinate party and say hey you do this thing no we, are, we ought to be honorable we, we ought to be um, fathers and mothers who are setting a good example for our children we, we ought to be making it easy for our children to obey us I know one way that I discourage my, my children and, and provoke them to wrath is by making too many rules. Too many rules that are basically just so I'm, I'm not annoyed. Don't do this because I'm just finding that incredibly annoying at the time. And I don't say that because that that could be mean. Let's go. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Go, go do this. Like I, I'm constantly kind of Hurting them just so I feel better about myself and have my quiet space. That's discouraging. That's, when I give them instruction, I want to be giving them instruction and discipline so that they, in things that really matter, and understand, you know, there's there's times where kids are going to be kids. I mean, it's also a matter of knowing our kids. You know, each kid is going to be different the way that this takes place we have to know our our children's strengths and weaknesses and if we're truly trying to bring them up and nourish them we want to uh, encourage that growth Um, you know if you think of if you think of a uh, you know someone who really loves their plants you know they are they might say i I sing to my plants i do all these things whatever it might be but it's this nourishing care for it it's the tender, tender pruning of it while you sing to it. It's watering it just the right amount, not overwatering it or underwatering it, uh, giving it the amount of light that is appropriate for that plant. Uh, we have a number of things that we plant out in our yard, and it's trying to figure out: okay, this area gets a lot of sun, and that thing doesn't do so well right there, but it does great if you put it right over here, where it's uh, the sun blocks it for most for a lot of the day. And it's, it's different, so we are, we're nourishing, we're bringing our children up carefully. Um, let's move on to the master-slave relationship. Someone find Colossians 3 and be ready to read verses 22 through 25. And then someone else, first Peter 2, and you're going to read 18 to the end of the chapter. So we've already read the passage in Ephesians. If, if someone has Colossians 3, 22 to 25, go ahead and read that.
2: Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. But the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality.
0: Very good. So that's very much as we read the passage in Ephesians. As we've mentioned before, Colossians is kind of a parallel letter, right, written about the same time. And you see kind of that, that same language that Paul is using. Now, 1 Peter 2 Um Just start reading and I'll tell you when to stop for the sake of time. Uh, 1 Peter two eighteen.
2: Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered
0: for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. That's good. So here we have instruction for servants or slaves to obey their masters, even the unjust ones. Even the unjust ones. But he doesn't just leave us there. He gives us us a reason. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his his steps. Uh, A number of of passages here. Um, One one really good one to recall is Paul's short letter uh, to Philemon regarding the runaway slave Onesimus. And Paul tells Philemon, as he is sending this runaway slave back to his master with his letter from Paul, which in those days, the the master would have had full right to kill or imprison his slave for running away. But instead, Paul says, hey, receive him back. He has has been a great uh, minister to me. Receive him back not just as your slave, as your bondservant, but as your brother. Because Onesimus had run away and heard the gospel and been saved, and now he's going back to his master, and Paul tells him, yeah, I'm not so concerned about the master-slave relationship. That's there. But receive him back much more than that, as your brother, There's uh, equality there. One thing um, uh, we want to recognize in here, well, first off, why do you think slaves and masters are included in the household code? They're part of the household. They're part of the household. That's that's even the, the Gentile understanding of it. This is part of the household. Paul, God through Paul, is really raising that up of saying, especially those who are believers, you're part of the household of faith, just like children. Recognize that Paul, Paul is writing to slaves. So you have a, You have a church. This this newly formed church. You're gathered around. You've got parents and children, you've got masters and slaves all gathered in a room or wherever, in a house typically is where they would meet, probably various houses around Ephesus. All these people are are gathered together, and Paul is addressing them individually. Husbands and wives, (coughs) children, fathers, slaves, masters, He's, he's calling each one out. Uh, They're all part of the church. Uh, A commentator writes, In some, slaves should obey their masters with sincerity and integrity, recognizing the subordinate position they occupy. They should avoid a division between the obedience they render and their willingness to render it. Their obedience to their masters should instead arise from their inner commitment to the Lord. And these are the phrases that you see throughout the passage. What are some of the ways they're supposed to obey? Not not like specifically how it's carried out, but what's the attitude? Sincere heart. Sincere hearts. As unto Christ. As unto Christ. With fear and
1: trembling.
0: With fear and trembling. There is this, there is a picture especially of the heart here in this passage. That they're not they're not just simply obeying a person. But they're ultimately obeying God. They're ultimately obeying Christ. They're, they're obeying with sincerity of heart. So as we think of some of the, the differences of the world, I haven't really focused on this uh, in today. but the way of the world is just to obey, to please, them, to please their master. I can, I, can pl- I can please Him, so it goes well with me. so I don't, I don't get beaten, I don't get thrown in prison. I don't get killed. I just obey to please man. The way of Christ's kingdom is I obey to please Christ. Out of sincerity of heart for him. And it's in him that we realize the equality uh, between uh, masters and slaves, um, especially if if we're uh, believers.
1: Would you...
2: Do you say the masters in this particular case because we are talking about the household code
0: mm-hmm.
2: is once again talking about the husband?
0: Yeah. Yes. That would have been uh, <clears throat> yeah. uh, so the, the authority wives, figure.
2: Children and husbands mm-hmm. or fathers and then slaves and Yeah.
0: the head of the household the husband. Mm-hmm. And in each case he addresses <clears throat> what would be the subordinate party first. This is actually kind of flipped in the passage. He addresses wives first. And he addresses children first. And he addresses slaves first. It's like, here's this example of how you ought to be um, viewing this authority figure that I've given you. And then authority figure, you're not lording it over them, but you are loving them. You are nourishing them. You are building them up. Um, We're just about out of time, but I do want to... just quickly think about think about the master-slave dynamic. Uh, first off, does this the the employee em, employer-employee relationship isn't very much a household dynamic anymore? You know, we don't. Um, some of us may have businesses in our in our home and and work with our wives for something like that, but typically we go we leave the household and we go somewhere else to a different place of business that the the two are kind of separated from family. But what are, what are some, what's some of the relationship dynamic that we can still carry over to the, um, to our, our context of employer, employee? I
2: think if, if God is sovereign over all things and ordains all things, not to overcomplicate it, but, you know you have this transactional relationship with your employer right I agreed to do this thing you agreed to uh, to compensate me in such way right um, and so that is a commitment that you're making to that person to do something agreed upon and I think that uh, honoring that and working as as to the best of your ability is honoring to God like you said we can sometimes make it about man but um, Working our, to the best of our ability in our in our jobs is something that can uh, can bring glory to God and give us opportunities to uh, to to share the gospel when appropriate um, and to honor Him and, and to and to make Him known to our workers. Right, It's that whole thing of like, what's different about this person? Right, mm-hmm. this is the company is failing and everybody's stressed out of their minds, and this person seems steady, and this person seems to have joy, and this person just continues to to work. You know, hard and with care and diligence. You know what's different about them, so it creates these opportunities to um, to talk about what God's done for us and who God is, and it's a way to bring Him glory through our work.
1: Yeah. I hold to the general principle of obey them that have rule over you. hmm So, and then all these other things still not as men things yourself but those
0: other principles I think still apply. Yeah. this is what scripture teaches us about the role of government Um, the government wasn't part of the household and yet Romans 13 still still told to obey those with authority over us Um, we're told Peter says honor the emperor the emperor wasn't very honorable but nonetheless Peter says honor the emperor I feel like that's
1: when it's hardest like for me, like loving my husband, being like listening to him and being a submissive wife, can sometimes be challenging. But it's easier because he's a loving husband. He cares for me. He has my best interest at heart. It's that circle that, like with children, um, obey your parents, but fathers don't provoke your kids. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that same circle. But in the workplace, I feel like it's very different because it's not the same circle it's not the same there's not the same balance like if i i have a very hard time sometimes obeying a boss that is not treating me correctly and not respecting my boundaries and like respecting my like there's certain things like saturdays and sundays i'll put in the church and things like that but then When I get pushback and different things like that, and they don't, when you're not heard and listened to and Mm value, then it's harder to obey. It's just like with the other things, it's easier with that circle that we have, like in the home, because if you're in a Christ-like home, it's easier. Um, But I guess, you know, it's easy to obey God when it's. Yeah, well, and that's, that's kind of like it's what, harder what the when passage you're...
0: out of First Peter that Devin read. Yeah. Yeah, and that's hard, and that's where we have to re- realize that these relationships and, and how, how this household code works out well, it really breaks down when those, especially when those with the uh, role of authority in these situations, isn't uh, leading in a Christ-like way. That's on us. If my children are being are uh, being discouraged, if my children find it difficult to honor me because I'm not honorable, I need to I need to own that. I I can't turn to my child my my boys and say I'll start acting honorable when you start showing me honor. Mm-hmm. I need to. I need to take the ownership. So all of these relationships can be broken down, and it becomes a difficult thing. Mm-hmm. And yet, when you have that the the workplace relationships, that it is very easy for us as um, as believers to fall into the crowd, and and start kind of tearing down and attacking the boss, instead of thinking, Hey, maybe I need to go talk to my boss and explain some of these things and. And, you know, once I share it, you know, they they may not respond the way I hope they will. But that doesn't mean I don't honor them. Now, in this context, we have the ability to say, hey, I'm going to go find another job. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But but it is the way we do it. And it points back to what Danny was saying. Um, What Peter calls us out to are, are you living out a hope? That other people see and say, "Wait, what? Why are you responding this way? Why? Why are you going so much against the grain and 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 showing kindness in this situation, rather than sitting around the uh, water cooler with us, just grumbling and complaining?" Victor, I'm gonna let you have the last comment, and then we'll. Kelsey made me think of something. Uh, I find it. Uh, uh,
2: this thought went through my mind: how ironic it is that we. God that the God that loves us tells us how to conduct ourselves within the church and within
1: our homes.
2: And with all, all of those people that do, that are that do love us or are supposed to be loving us, how we submit ourselves and do all those things. And we're we will rebel against that a lot of times, step outside the home, and we will give more reverence and submission. Mm-hmm. And respect to bosses, famous people, uh, politicians, people in other kinds of authority than we're doing our own. <clears throat> so that that's basically what I was thinking.
0: Yeah, but well, it is an interesting thing that, yeah. I, as parents, I can it's easy to see the faults in my children, <laughs> of like, hey, you you give, you, you give can give more reverence to someone here instead of your own mom. Um, but I think we all struggle with that, uh, where we this natural rebellion uh, against those those relationships that are so clo- that are closest to us. Erica,
1: just real quick, um, the other thing I'm thinking about when I'm reading these verses, is in in my role at work, I'm a supervisor, so I'm not thinking it so much of to my boss, mm-hmm. but the masters do the same to them, that I need to be, you know, until it's honorable to my employees when they do come to me even if they are trying to tear me down I'm you know, how can I honor my position to help them to grow them
0: yeah yeah, and that's great thank you for getting we, we couldn't quite get to the end but yes that masters do the same that, do, that phrase do the same to them really has a lot of weight to it it's a lot shorter of the section that, that Paul devoted to the masters but he kind of says hey everything I just said to the servants about serving, serving with a sincere heart, and as to the Lord, you do that. I, I guarantee you, know, you, you, you do that relation. You show them that reverence and respect, even though they're your subordinate. And it's it, that is the that is the well ordered uh, kingdom. Christ's kingdom is well ordered when we do those things. Okay, we, we need to wrap up. I apologize for rambling. Larry, would you mind closing us in prayer?
2: Heavenly uh, Father, we are grateful to you, Lord, for the word that you have uh, given us. I pray that these uh, things that we have heard this morning through um, the Spirit, through Jeremy, and the instruction would be on our minds and hearts to change our hearts to conform to you, and that we could better honor you through Our obedience uh, because of these things, because of ultimately because of what you've done for us. I pray as we go into the service that our hearts be prepared for worship and to hear the word that uh, has been planned for us.